the field, people will come. And it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Hello and welcome to White Sox Business. I don't know if you've noticed in recent weeks, but without any live American sports, the sports media industry has had to milk the crap out of a few topics just to keep itself going. For a while, it was the NFL draft. Now, it's the Last Dance documentary on ESPN. More specifically, it's Michael Jordan. Everywhere you look, somebody is writing some kind of story related to Michael Jordan or the Bulls dynasty. Well, much like we did with the NFL draft, we're doing the same thing with The Last Dance. That's why on today's show, we welcome Kurt Bloom, who has called games for the Birmingham Barons for years and was calling games with the Barons when Michael Jordan played for them. We talked to him about that, some of his Michael Jordan-related stories, and other Barons-related stuff like Luis Robert and maybe some other players that we should be on the lookout for that we don't talk about much. The we being myself, Tom Fernelli, and the Athletics White Sox reporter James Fegan. But before we get to all of that, James, I have to know, how does it feel to have been scooped again? How could you let Trevor Plouffe beat you? Uh, I mean, I, I think... When you start as a reporter, you realize going in, I mean, even when you're in journalism school, that there is no competing with John Boy Media as an empire and as a franchise. And you just you submit willingly. You offer them uh, yourself as human sacrifice. If they so choose, they pass on. You're allowed to live your life. And, you know, I, I thank them every day for uh, having not um you know, sacrifice me as part of a blood ritual. But if they if they come calling one day, I'll just have to say, you know, uh, you know it, it, I, I give myself up for content. So I I, I I I don't even question it. It's 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 a higher power beyond me, and I I I just I, I just submit to John Boy. For those unaware, uh, Trevor Plouffe, the former Minnesota Twin and other player for other teams, tweeted earlier this week that he's heard from sources that. Spring training part two is going to start on June 10th. Are we calling it spring training part two or spring training 2.0? He called it part two, I think, didn't he? I don't know. Who knows? Uh, he call, I think he called it part two. And then he said starting on June 10th with the season tentative, like scheduled to begin July 1st with teams playing in their home parks. Uh, what are the percent odds you give of that being true? Decent. I mean, it certainly is. I, that's. Um, it mirrors what I've heard as far as like what people think the current expectation is. But like a month ago, I also heard like, oh, the Arizona plan's really real and they're really going to try yeah. it. And then it's, it switched like to a new thing every week from there out. And now like the Arizona plan's like stupid and I hate it, never liked it. So it was, it was a joke. We were kidding. You guys took it seriously. I think it's very real about where things stand right now. But um, I think the whole thing where like a bunch of national reporters refuted him is, is based off the fact that, you know, it's not actually set in stone and, and scheduled yet and things could change. Yeah, I'm going to take the uh, I'm not going to be pessimistic. I'm going to be optimistic about this one. I'm going to believe it's true. I mean, I'm I was just, trying to be optimistic about the Arizona plan, and then you know, yeah, no, I've, seven I've days passed and it was gone. I've changed. I'm I'm changing course here. I want to believe it's true. Maybe I'm just in a very good mood based on of our you know our conversation with Kurt Bloom because that, that was a fun. Com- it was a fun interview. It got me in a good mood. And now I'm optimistic, and I'm thinking that baseball is going to be back soon. And I feel like we shouldn't keep the listeners from it any longer. We should go to our interview with Birmingham Barons broadcaster, Kurt Bloom. 
We now welcome to the show the announcer of the Birmingham Barons since 1992, a two-time Southern League Broadcaster of the Year, a member of the Birmingham Barons Hall of Fame, and the man who once wrestled two Grizzly Bears to submission without suffering a single scratch. Kurt Bloom, welcome to White Sox Business. Thanks for having me. And and uh, I actually, I bruised the knee. Didn't have a scratch with those bears, but I, <laughs> I came up with a uh, contusion. Uh, Herm Schneider back in the day, you know, got, got me on some rehab and we're good to go. Well, I'm, I'm glad to see that, you know, I mean, you can always rely on Herm to take care of any kind of ailment that you have. But how, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on the show. Doing great. Um, I, I think mentally and physically, I'm at a great place. Um, I understand that there's zero we can do about what's going on. So I decided to stay positive and I just wait for news like everybody else. But, uh, you know, when you, when you look at physically and mentally, if you got those two areas covered, you're in good shape. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all better off than James has ever been to begin with, but it's it's important that we stay that way, right, James? Uh, sure, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we have you on the show today just to catch up with you, but also because, you know, right now, The Last Dance is pretty much the only sport going on in America, and it's not even a sport. It's literally just a documentary on ESPN about the, you know, Dynasty Chicago Bulls, the 98 season and kind of the history of that team. And it's focused on Michael Jordan. And we're getting to the part of the documentary where Jordan, after the third championship, is about to, you know, retire and he's going to begin his baseball. He's, he's going to try to recapture his dream of playing baseball. And he played with the Birmingham Barons, who, you know, you were with the team at the time. So we figured you'd be the perfect person to have on the show to talk about that. Yeah, I've been uh, thinking about the, the last dance, and, and we didn't know if the Barons would be a part of it. In, in fact, I was, just like Jordan's initial appearance, I was very pessimistic, thinking that there's nothing there. And then last week, we started hearing rumors about it. And uh, and then you see the actual uh, highlight with uh, Michael in a uh, Barons uniform. So we all got pretty excited. It was a nice little boost, especially, again, considering this time of the year, um, when not a whole lot is going on and all of a sudden the Barons are, are back really on the front pages of, of newspaper, media, radio, whatever, whatever the medium is, we're there. So, I mean, how did, when he joined the team, because obviously the Barons are, you know, in Birmingham, they're, they've, how long have the team's been there forever, as far as I know. And it's, they're, they're a big deal in Birmingham, but they weren't really a big deal nationally, not at least on the scale that they were until Michael Jordan came to town. But how did... How did everybody with the team and even, you know, like you and anybody in the front office or even some of the players, how did how did you go about dealing with Michael Jordan as a spectacle? Because as we saw in the last episode, Michael Jordan is not a person who could go anywhere without anybody noticing that he's there. Yeah, and I'm glad they brought that out because that's something that guys who followed him. And, and again, we all spent 150 days with him traveling home and road. And that's a an observation that I made is. I remember asking myself that same question, like, do I really want to trade places with this guy? Um, maybe bank accounts, but that's about it. But you <laughs> ask, how do you how do you deal with it? Well, to me, it's like anything else in life, and it starts at the top. And when you look at the guy who was running the Barons, Bill Hardikoff, our president and general manager, and his demeanor, uh, the way that uh, he pointed us in the right direction, along with the field manager, Terry Francona, um, and when you look at the support group that was in place for both Bill uh, and, and Tito, I don't, guys, I've been in baseball. This would be my 33rd year if we ever, you know, have a game this year. But 
I don't think that there's a staff both front office wise or field wise that could have handled anything like we did. I'm very, very proud of that. And, uh, and I know that you've spoken with my current general manager and president, Jonathan Nelson, who is a part of that staff as well. So answering the question simply, it starts from the top. They set the pace and then the rest of us, we follow in and we had great leaders uh, both on and off the field. The way, the way Jonathan um, termed it was that he was working in group ticket sales. And at that point he gets shifted to a ticket window and he's selling tickets nonstop until like they, they, he gets breaks for like lunch and, and bathroom. And that's about it. But how does your work schedule change uh, uh, when, when basically the most popular athlete uh, in the world becomes part of the 25 man roster? James, you, you knew every day that there would be an incredible story you wondered in the back of your mind, are we going to see a rock star? Are we going to see a movie star? Are we going to see an athlete? There was, as you, you guys heard that word, that buzz, the buzz. Um, and it, it happened that year every day, which is, you know, incredibly um, highly unusual. And it started earlier. Now, you know, we'll play a game this year or look at last year and, and sure you get excited. It's a big game. You know, someone's got to win this one, maybe puts us in a, in a good position, but for 150 days in 1994, starting at around two or three o'clock, everything that you knew uh, was completely different. And in that case, a lot of it was delivered. So I'll tell you what, for me, I had the greatest uh, vantage point. And also guys, remember this, I got to broadcast in front of what, seven to 8,000 people on the average uh, home and road. And so every game was big and, and that helps you as a broadcaster, you feed on, on, on crowd noise. And, and so I, I was one of the lucky ones. I, you know, I wasn't downstairs in the booth like Jonathan trying to uh, take a booth, trying to um, satisfy people. I was just upstairs trying to tell a story. Did, did what were your dealings? Like, did you have any like personal dealings with Michael yourself? Like what was, you know, I mean, it's it's a weird question to ask, but what was Michael like as a person? Or as James wants to know, did you ever play pickup basketball with him? Yeah, of course I played ball. But we'll go back to um, what I what I talk about first is you have to understand this. And James has been around a lot of uh, incredibly talented athletes in, in the last you know two decades or so. Um, he tried, and and others try on that rare rare occasion to just be normal, just be one of the guys, and the world and Michael says this in the last dance and the world gets to see 100% of, of they want him on the entire time. There, there's no way that he could ever just be, just be Mike. Um, he's got to be MJ. He's got to be Jordan. He's got to be Michael. He's got to be somebody. But I had a chance to see that rare, rare slither of a percentage where he just tried to be one of the guys. He respected everything in that locker room. Um, basically, you have to treat him like everybody else. That meant what kind of relationship did I have? If he punched me in the shoulder to say, yo, what's up? Then you got to punch him back. You can't say to yourself, oh, my God, that's Michael Jordan. I, I, I'll save that punch for my backup shortstop. You know? <laughs> um, and, and I think one of the most important things that uh, both Tito Francona and, and Bill Hardikoff, um made clear to me, and I was just just old enough to understand this, is respect and trust is, is what you need. Um, so I had access to him every single day for somewhere between five to eight hours. Um, what I wanted, guys, was not, hey, CB, come into my room and, and let's 
let's talk about the Knicks. But what I wanted and what I needed was the trust factor that in his life, he knew I would see everything he did. Um, and I think now, uh, you know, when, when I did my one interview, you can hear the, the, the trust factor. I asked him about that. And indirectly, um, and, and I know that this question comes up, have you spoken with him since? And I'll say this, indirectly, yes, directly, no. But indirectly, I, I guess the reason I answered that way is because I, I think I accomplished what I needed was building trust um, and allowing him to see me and, and me not being so enamored with Michael Jordan. Um, you know, there were moments where you shake your head and go, this is not happening, but, but it was. And then about the basketball, you know, we kept that a secret. Um, and I played, it was August, and it was three-on-three. Three. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh a community, a, a subdivision about a mile, two miles from uh, the Hoover Met, which was where we used to play. I was just really a freak then more than anything else. It wasn't planned that I'd be on his team. But as we broke up into teams, it was three on three. And uh, the, the story is I, you know, it's, it's my go to story. Um, the ball comes to him to open up the game. And I set a pick and he looks <laughs> down on me six inches uh, shorter and waves me off. And he says, CB, I don't need that. And then uh, <laughs> takes one step back, drains a 30-40. Yes, please insert all the jokes and the laughs because it, it was funny. And, and if you would have seen me, you've had a picture of it. I actually, uh, James and company, I had the original Air Jordans on. Those red, I had the red and black ones on. No idea that he would show up that day. So I'm wearing the guy, I'm wearing his sneakers and we're playing three on three together. That's my one basketball story and I'm sticking with it. Who takes the last shot on that team? You or Mike? <laughs> Let's just put it this way. It wasn't me, and there was no last shot either. You know? <laughs> and and I, I will tell you this again, especially a guy like James is so good at what he was doing. Um, we couldn't talk about that at the time. It was just way too inflammatory. And the other thing is you got to remember, there was no social media at that time. So we were able to do some things, talk a little bit, and play a little bit of basketball um, that – was really publicly we would have never I, I didn't tell that story until the season was over i think if i was playing three on three with a guy who like simply like had a scholarship at a d1 program i would like defer to him and pass to him like every single time down the court so i, I can't even imagine like the greatest basketball player of all time like how much i would just take a back seat yeah but don't you want to you want to tell your friends like yeah, I scored in that game or I had a layup or a rebound or something. So, so in my case, in the stat sheet, um, it said screen or pick one. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> I just learned that he didn't need it. See, I'd have been, James, I'd have been waving him off. Like if I had the ball at the top of the key, I'd have been like waving him off. Like, no, no, I'm going to ISO here, guys. I'm taking this guy. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's your personality for sure. <laughs> If you're bored in the house, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving, thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. 
Shaving is about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped Advanced Skin Safe technology. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. This is the perfect package for your perfect package. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC, all one word, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code the athletic. I feel like, you know, there's there's been talk too of Michael obviously, you know, he was playing you guys were playing three on three, and as things went along, he clearly he made the return to the NBA at some point. But he got off as a player, as you would expect somebody who hadn't played baseball competitively since high school. He got off to a very slow start, but as things went on, as he was starting to get more into the groove, he was playing, you know, he was playing better and better. Where where in your eyes at being there, actually being able to watch him play every day, what did you see happening with him and where did you see him going as a player? The hard work and the dedication was just off the charts. And you have to understand if, if there's a, a bus, and James is very familiar with this, if there's a, a bus that takes the Barons, you know, the Blake Rutherfords of the world and the uh, Mike Rodolfo's and the Luis Roberts, we usually go a three o'clock bus to the ballpark. But back in 1994, Michael had a way to get to the ballpark, whether the opposing general manager uh, got him there, a taxi, a cab, a bus, whatever the heck it was. But he was there at 12 o'clock and took his own private batting practice and then rejoined the team for regular BP. So his work ethic, his focus, his dedication um, was just off the charts. And where do I see him? I've said it a million times. I, I think that if the baseball um, had not been in a lockout situation that sometime in 1995, I think he would have started the year in Nashville. And then at some point he would have been called up to Chicago as a fourth and maybe fifth outfielder, a guy who could run, play some defense. And look, you know, he hit three home runs. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying he would have hit a home run in the big leagues, but three home runs at our huge ballpark indicates that there was some, um, definitely some progress made. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the smart people will talk to Terry Francona and Mike Barnett, our hitting instructor, and, and they all say the same thing. You know, they're, they're more trained for that than I am, but I know what I saw. And what I saw was a guy who competed, who, who uh, certainly had obviously a lot of athleticism, uh, and, and a guy that I firmly believe was going to be in Chicago the following year, not break camp, but but uh, at, at some point he was going to go to Chicago and, and catch some fly balls in the, in the late innings and steal a base for you. Yeah. You know, talking to, to Jonathan yesterday, he, he said that Michael had to start parking in a different uh, spot because uh, basically the media that was following him that year had figured out where he was parking and he kind of needed to like hide away in a different location to be able to like enter the park on a, on a, on a, on a regular basis. And also that it was a, like a regular site to see like, guys from the opposing team like sheepishly kind of coming up to him during the middle of batting practice and asking for autographs how much did him kind of coming in early have to be just like that was a way to get in his work without being swarmed yeah that that was a big part of it and you know what james i i know you got a um an incredible uh, drop top uh top of the line mercedes <laughs> with a jf um license plate on it well 
he had his Mercedes coupe with MJJJ, which I actually saw in the last dance. Um, and he parked it in front. So everybody who came, uh, and this is early in the season, like Jonathan said, but everybody who came, yeah, it was very, it stuck out, you know? So it was easy to find. And, and then I, I think the neat thing was people taking pictures around his car. Um, so we put him in the back uh, behind the fence and that helped him escape after a game. And I say escape, he, he still signed a tremendous amount of autographs and was very gracious uh, to the fans and made sure, especially little kids, they always got autographs and pictures and whatever else they needed. Um, and then the other team, oh, it was great. It was great. They would run out of their locker room with a sleeve full of, as we say in baseball, pearls, white baseballs. And while he was out in the outfield, they ran over to him, forget that sheepishly, uh, you know, it was who's aggressive. And, and guys are coming out from the other locker room with, you know, sleeve full of balls and pictures. And I want you to meet my uncle, my cousin, my brother. Um, <laughs> it was quite a show. And you know what? If you had a uniform on, he was extremely respectful of that. And I, he never said no. I can't say I didn't see him say no, but I, I know that, that he just didn't turn down anybody from his teammates to an opposing team. You know, it's funny. You, you mentioned like his car and the license plate. That's another thing too. Like in the, in the last episode of the documentary, you see him doing an interview with the Mater shot in his car and it's a red Range Rover with the license plate to Trey. And I feel like the last thing I would have ever expected from Michael Jordan would be that his license plate would tell you who he was for the most part. Right. And I felt like that's a low key genius thing. Like if you see that on the road, you're like, Oh, there's no way that's actually Michael Jordan. That's right. just some bulls fan. <laughs> Right. Well, JJ MJ did the same thing. You know, JJ was yeah. for his wife, and MJ was for him. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess we we should have recommended a, a different uh, vanity plate, but he's Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the question: All White Sox fans want to know right now, who's the better prospect, Michael Jordan or Luis Robert? It was close. Um, yeah, I think the all round game. Luis has just a little bit more polish uh, than Michael did. Uh, so I, I give it to uh, Robert as an edge, and it, it just breaks my heart right now. Really, really pains me that White Sox fans have not yet gotten what they deserve to see, and that's Luis Robert. Uh, I mean, this is this is a special, special talent. I've told that to James. Uh, Eloy is a, an incredible, uh, special offensive player, and Robert's got a, a little bit more. Uh, in terms of his defense and his, um, his running the bases. And I just, I feel sorry for everybody who didn't get to see him like I did last year. And, and hopefully, hopefully, uh, before, uh, too long, you will, and, and you're all going to buy into it. But I would, I would, I would, you know, let's go with Robert as one and then Michael as one. A. So you would, of all the players you've seen come through Birmingham in your time, you, you'd put Luis at the top or is there anybody you think was, you know, better coming through than Robert to this point? Well, I'd have to go with Robert over Eloy because, as I said, he plays defense and he runs. Um, and in fact, he loves being on the bases. I, I think he's just as satisfied hitting a rope single to right center field and then challenging the pitcher and the catcher uh, to see if he could steal the base. So was he the best that I've seen in my too many years? Yeah, I, I would say so. Offensively, you want to just talk about one facet I would put Eloy Jimenez just slightly above him. 
but um, the overall, what you're bringing uh, on a daily basis, both so, you know, offense and defense. Yeah, sure. Robert was. I'll, I'll, I'll now on this podcast call him number one. Sweet. The uh, when I was doing the the piece that ran today, I I felt like the most interesting thing to me as someone who's been hearing about the physical tools for years now, and you know everything he does kind of jumps off the page physically. I thought it was interesting to hear from you and, and other guys who watched him about the makeup that, that how he's like a very engaged observer, how much he liked uh, challenging uh, the challenge of stealing bases for reading pitchers and how 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 uh, how how locked in he was to make adjustments and how how talkative he was with his hitting coach to try to like figure out um, how pitchers were going to sequence him. So. Could you could you speak a little bit to how much you just saw of how kind of studious he was about the game? Well, and, and to tell you how studious he was about the game, how about how studious he was off the field, which means he took Spanish less or uh, English lessons. Right? I don't think he needed Spanish lessons, but uh, he took English uh, three times a week and was there uh, longer than anybody else and was very very creative. Uh, I had the pleasure. And the privilege, I didn't tape it. I didn't really feel comfortable about that. But I went in there and watched, um, and it was it was fascinating. Uh, and it was a challenge for him. It was just like hitting a fastball or a curveball to get better, and he wants to get better. He was very um, annoyed with himself that he had to rely on Anthony Santiago um, to do the translating because he just wasn't, obviously wasn't as comfortable Guys, two of his best friends, and James will know his, his, his friends, obviously, is Eloy Jimenez and, and Mike Rodolfo. And they, I would believe that they influenced Luis in terms of speaking English because both of them, uh, especially Mike, is, you, is completely bilingual. And Eloy shocked me with how much English he knew at, at, at his stage. And I think they paved the way. They're a little bit. I guess a little bit older and a level ahead of where Luis was. So I think that Luis just observed them and made that, uh, made that adjustment. And believe me, I'm, I'm going to tell you this because I've been around uh, a bunch uh, in, in my last uh, 30 years, a bunch of uh, uh, Hispanic players, the more comfortable they are with the language and ordering uh, when we go to a fast food restaurant you're going to see how much much more relaxed they are on the field. There's definitely a correlation. And in the case of Robert, it was just incredible that always that constant smile um, and never a frown. If, if there was an 0 for 10, which there rarely was, but uh, you wouldn't know it. Um, and even hitting his you know prestigious home runs, same approach. And the White Sox, they've got you know, somebody really, really special in him. And that's why, again, the fans – uh, for that starving fan base, they they deserve to see him. Yeah, no, I, I think we're all there with you. We're all very excited to see Luis in Chicago after everything you know we've heard about him in the last few years. What you've just told us now, and I, I can't wait to see him play because I've only seen him play on tape or on highlights. I've never seen him in person, and I would really like to be able to see that. Uh, but sticking with the Barons, I mean. Obviously, Luis Robert has gone through Birmingham. Last year, you know, Nick Madrigal was in Birmingham. But aside from the top prospects, who is somebody that maybe has really impressed you last year or in the last couple of years that maybe isn't a top quote-unquote prospect in the White Sox system or that White Sox fans aren't as familiar with who you think could surprise White Sox fans down the road and show up in Chicago sooner rather than later? 
how about Kurt Bloom, the radio announcer? No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> hey, <you> know, <laughs> off of last year's team, I really liked Luis Gonzalez. And, you know, it's not the old Astros guy and then the Diamondbacks guy and the, the, the guy at, you know, 50 home run season. But, but the White Sox drafted him, James will help me, third or fourth round out of New Mexico. Third round, and, yeah. You know, his numbers – Guys will not jump off and go, whoa, we had a great year. But he does everything very, very well. And again, another guy, you see it in his eyes and you see it in his face, how hungry he is. There's some sort of story back behind him. I, I know he was born in Mexico and then the family moved to, I believe, Arizona. Um, but uh, that being said, he plays with the right amount of vinegar. Um, and there were a bunch of scouts that, you know, again, without forget the numbers, but certainly were aware of, and I, and they, they often, um, play possum with me. They're not going to, there's not a scout from another team that's going to come into my radio booth and go, really, I love this Luis Gonzalez, you know, but you can see their eyes light up in their pens and pencils when he plays the game, uh, Again, there's a lot of things, including playing all three outfield positions. If you've got an outfielder um, that could play all three outfield positions, you've got somebody special. Luis can do that. He can go to center field in a pinch. Might not be his best position, but he's not going to embarrass himself. And I, I'd start with there. And um, there are some pitchers, uh, certainly guys that were you know, putting up some numbers that uh, – again, would fit into that category. But I like to look at that underdog every day because I get to see a guy every day. A pitcher, you know, especially at the bullpen, you might see him twice a week and maybe had a great month and then comes back or had a great couple of series or something along those lines. But I'll go with Luis Gonzalez and, and, and be surprised if he does not crack a, you know, crack a roster at some point real soon. Makes mental note, Luis Gonzalez. All yep. right. Just to kind of wrap up, I mean, since you've posted so many kind of memories and radio calls of like Michael's first hit and uh, you know his first home run and, uh, and interviewing him, do you have a maybe an under radar or, or favorite memory of, of that '94 season of dealing with him and, and watching him that uh, sticks out at all? There's a, I, I haven't released the audio yet, but there's one particular play, James, that. I think about it all the time because of the name involved. And I'll try to, this is my best attempt at speeding the story up. The Barons were getting no hit five, nothing at home. And it was the bottom of the ninth inning. Okay. Give me, you know, three outs. We're going to get no hit by Huntsville and we're, we're, we're done. And Michael's on the team. Um, we made a little bit of a noise and then all of a sudden we got our hits a couple of walks later. So here's the score. It's five, three Huntsville bottom of the ninth, two outs and the bases are loaded. So Jordan hits a routine, I mean a routine ground ball. The rally should have ended. We're, we're home. We you know broke up the no-hitter in the shutout, but we're still going to lose the game. The third baseman of Huntsville picks it up and throws it into right field. All three runs score, we win 6-5. And the trivia question is, who was that third baseman for Huntsville? And I asked this to a lot of people, and they say Eric Chavez, but it wasn't. And the answer is Jason Giambi. He's playing third base back then? Third base back then. It yes, all sir. makes a lot more sense. Now. Now it was, does, was that the end of his time at third base? Uh, pretty much, yeah. That throw might have been the last time he took something. Uh, and Chavez, I think, was like a year 
behind him. But that one game is the one that that sequence there is like, it, of course, it had to be Jordan. But James, you know, the one moment the home run is something that I have chills just, you know, repeating the story and listening to it and thinking about it. I didn't think it would be done. Um, and in that game, when he hit the home run, he came close uh, in two of his previous at bats. So uh, it was almost like giving us a preview. But uh, the Giambi play, the, the ground ball to, to third, I'm going to show, I'll have that audio posted on my website. Uh, bases loaded, we were getting no hit. It was just, you can't make that stuff up. And a home run. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with those two. That's awesome. Kurt, thank you very much for joining us and for, you know, filling us in on Michael, his time in Birmingham and just giving and also talking about Luis Robert and everybody else. We really appreciate it. And uh, we hope that you're back in a booth calling a Barons game soon. I think I think that's what everybody's hoping for right now. Well, before I say thank you, I just want to mention this, too. This is important. First of all, James is I've got to know him the last couple of years. It's an <clears throat> absolutely fantastic, brilliant writer. Um, it's because of him that I actually have subscribed now to The Athletic. Uh, but just as important for you and those listening, you have to understand we live, we breathe, we die sports. And for you to put this kind of content on a, a platform is just extraordinary is the only word that I can think of. And, and I commend, I recommend, and I salute the talk shows, the podcasts, and everybody trying on a daily basis to put some content out there. So I thank you for the opportunity. Wish you the best. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Thank you, Kurt. Thanks, Kurt. There are certain times when you don't want to have to go to the doctor's office to get help for a medical condition. If you're dealing with a condition like ED, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel any time. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash White Sox for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash White Sox for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. We want to thank Kurt again for coming on. That was a very good interview. It was great. Uh, if if you want to hear more of maybe some of those audio clips he talked about, you could get them at KurtBloom.com. That's C-U-R-T-B-L-O-O-M. Or you could follow him on Twitter at KurtBloom4. That's all one word, no spaces. And it's the number four, not the, no, the number four spelled out. So C-U-R-T-B-L-O-O-M-4. And uh, James, that was a great interview. Thanks. Uh, I carried us. You did, and you also set it up. So props to you for getting that done. James, we knew you cared about our show. Spent two years making Kurt my friend just to set up one podcast interview, and now the deed is done. I will say he was very, very, very kind to you. So I think that, you know. (laughs) He was trying to tilt the balance of the year of the show. (laughs) You don't think we like you? I consider you a friend. Cam, don't you consider James to be a friend? We we got that Ed Farmer Darren Jackson rapport going. <laughs>
<laughs> oh, so everybody hates us. <laughs> well, as the survey results showed from the <laughs> we're, we're, one of us will die, and the other one will have to like deny that we hated him the whole time. No, no, no. We were best friends. Yeah, I mean, we never we never spent time together outside the show. But yeah, no, we loved each other very, very much. I'm sad he's dead. I still got Last imprints week. of his teeth in my knuckle. <laughs> what? <laughs> From punching you, you get it? Oh, okay. I thought I was gonna. I, I went a completely different direction, and we don't need to keep going in that direction. Uh, speaking of surveys, kinda. We talked about your survey on the athletic on our last show. Another survey that ESPN published earlier this week was they they polled fans and they got about a thousand responses, and the gist essentially was: Would fans be cool with you know sports resuming without? fans being allowed to be there and 65% of the respondents said they were in favor of sports returning even if fans can't be in the stands and what was funny to me was that that number jumps up to 76% were in favor of sports returning without fans if the players were quarantined so there's that gap where there's like the people that want sports back but not enough to risk the danger of players getting others sick and then there's you know that you know, so what, what do you think what's, of that? Sir? What's next? Like polling dogs if they're willing to eat the dog food? Like what other <laughs> thing? Like to ask people that they have no choice in the matter about if they're willing to like tolerate it. But that's what I was going to ask you. How many more weeks from now will ESPN run this poll or this survey, and it'll be like ninety nine percent are willing to have sports in return, even if the players are dying on the field as they're played. Like ninety nine percent of. Prisoners in solitary confinement are willing to settle for an hour of uh, on the yard. Like <laughs> you don't have, there's no like alternative option that you have access to. Like there's not going to be, and and even if like they did, I don't think. I mean, it's something that I came with. I got in response to talking with the kind of the minor league GMs is that they don't think if they opened up right now, people would just be racing to fill yeah. the park and stand arm to arm next to each other. Uh, and, and even when things do kind of get closer to normal, I feel like there was a feeling that things are going to be fundamentally different, that you're going to, the idea, you know, think be, we're going to look back to the time where there wasn't just hand sanitizer stations all over the ballpark uh, when we were watching videos uh, 20 years from now. It was like kind of weird and quaint or when there wasn't sneeze guards in front of every concession stand. Um, those are probably going to be elements of normalcy going forward and We'll, we'll kind of look at these times as like weird dark ages. Just like it's weird to watch videos where you can walk up to the gate in the, the airport. It'll be like they're going to replace the uh, nets that they put up all over, you know, like in the last few years, like the White Sox extended them to the foul poles and other stadiums and teams are kind of following suit there. They're, huge they're, sneeze guards. Yeah, they're going to replace those <laughs> nets with like, you know, masks, like N95 masks. You won't be able to see the game, but you will be safe. I was thinking of like that viruses. that uh, that see through plating that like oh somewhat plexiglass plating that like Kirby Puckett like slams into making a catch in the World Series is just gonna be all over the park. So like hockey boards, just yeah, everywhere. hockey boards is a bit better. Would be an easier thing to say. Uh, but yeah, every every stadium just looks like the old Metrodome. Oh, that'd be great! Like fans banging on the boards like at a hockey match. It'll be great. Yeah, but at a safe distance from one another. Games having to be delayed for twenty minutes when a foul ball shatters the glass. Right, or just like, you know, uh, who plays outfield for the White Sox? Eloy Jimenez just like plows through glass. <laughs> Ooh, what if what if they do that, but then they change the rule, like the ball's still in play. Like you could catch it off the glass. Yeah. 
<laughs> Luis Robert tiptoeing around shattered glass. Like, yeah. Eloy sitting like like in a daze <laughs> to, to pick up the ball and throw it back in. Uh, I think definitely the darkest moment for me of this entire shutdown was the five seconds where I couldn't think of the name of a White Sox outfielder anymore because it's been too long. <laughs> Uh, you know, what's his name? The guy who plays the field out there. I almost said Viciato. Oh, well, I mean, I think, I don't think Diane Viciato's ever too far from the forefront of our minds. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, that's kind of like when everything's stripped of me, I'll still like, I'll be mumbling like Diane Viciato's name on my deathbed to my kids and they'll be trying to track him down and see what it means if he's like a distant lover or something that they need to get in touch with. He might escape our mind, but he'll never get out of our heart. Yeah. Speaking of baseball without fans present, that's happening in Korea. And ESPN is now broadcasting KBO games, which is great, except for the fact that they all start at like midnight and I'm not sticking up to watch them live. Hey, hey but... it started at 4.30 a.m. Uh, today. Yeah. For... And it's like, so they're all like either really late or really late early morning. I, so, but they are replaying them during the day. It's just the problem that for me is that the games are all spoiled by the time I'm actually getting to sit down to watch them. But I think that it's important for the podcast, seeing as how we are currently a baseball podcast that covers a team that doesn't have a team that's playing. I think we need to adopt a KBO team and we're adopting the Samsung lions because Tyler Saladino plays for the Samsung lions and he was batting third in the order on opening day. He, he was having some good rips too. He was like one for three as a walk and that was like, he battled back from an O2 count. I mean, he's he's got to be like the best player on that team, right? If he's the number three hitter and the starting shortstop, like I don't, I don't he's, know. He's basically, a rod, isn't he? I I would think so. I mean, that's that's a weird thing to like. You're not going to put your worst hitter there, are you? I would think so. Like they they clearly must love the pop or something like that. I mean, if, and, and you know, you spend his career as like a utility guy bouncing all over the infield, but they're like, yo, you're our opening day shortstop. I mean, it's, it seems like he he's he's the guy to bring Samsung back. Back to pro- back to prominence. What if what if he's not the team's best player? It's just everybody's kind of mesmerized by the facial hair, and it's like, oh wow, that guy's got to be good. I mean, there there's precedent for that for guys who just their mystique carries them a little bit more for their their talent. I mean, that, that's that happens in America too, doesn't it? Yes, and it also you know what else it could be. Let's not forget that Tyler Saladino batted like second in the order in his first game with the White Sox. So maybe the Lions are looking at this guy saying, well, if he could bat second for a major league team, he should probably bat third for us. Right. Uh, so you immediately just latched. I mean, I'm definitely leaning towards Tyler, but Odrisimer Despania shoved in his KBO no. debut. No, mm-mm. not. I, I did not develop. I mean, yes, Odrisimer was on the team while we had this podcast going, so we had to speak about it. But... <laughs> I, I did not develop an affinity for him like I did for Tyler because I do believe that the happiest, my happiest memory of Odrisimer was when they got rid of him. Well, <laughs> Odrisimer was just a really enjoyable three starts fan to cover because, like, the whole first game where he didn't like head out to warm up <laughs> and the sight of like he like went out there with like ten minutes left before first pitch. At that point, like the guy is usually like leaving the dugout, and James McCann is still just sitting like in like he's just sitting where like the catcher's set up in, in the dugout, watching like Odrisimer like hastily stretch and maybe like throw like make like five like uh, throws to like a, a bullpen catcher and then run back to the dugout, and he's just like sitting there like what the hell is happening? 
<laughs> and then like a, I don't know, Odrysimer is like only 33. So um, I think he's actually. I know, but he feels like he's 45. <laughs> well, that's the thing. He's he's like three months old, younger than Jose Abreu. And he's like chilling. He has his locker right next to Jose Abreu. And um, uh, like they're, they're hanging out and talking like their little like the little corner where Mancada and uh, Wellington Castillo are all hang out. And uh, you know, people are talking like, oh, is Odrysimer and uh, Abreu really tight? Uh, and like, yeah, apparently they hung out as like kids and they, they know each other. <laughs> and someone piped in like, what was Odrysimer like Jose's babysitter or something? Because <laughs> like he's like. Completely lost the bile of his hairline. He's got like a bit of a paunch. He, he look he looks like he could be easily like twelve to to fifteen years older than Abreu. Uh, you know, not the Abreu is usually like the senior guy in the clubhouse and looks it, but yeah, you know, he, he looks a bit more fit and in, in a younger condition than Odrysimer looked at that point in time. But apparently, when it, it comes to the KBO, he, he's in, in the middle of his prime because what was it six shutout innings? I mean, I don't know. I just know that. Let's see. Tyler and Samsung Lions are 0-2. Adresimer is on the KT Wiz. They are also 0-2. So maybe we'll do this. Six innings of one-run ball, eight strikeouts, no walks. Shit. Well, maybe maybe we should sign him to you know get him back here. Maybe get him in the spot for that fifth spot in the road. Yeah, but, the White Sox need an ace starter. Bad. That's right. Now, here's... Okay, the Samsung Lions are the official team of White Sox business, but we'll keep KT... In our back pocket, just in case the Lions really, really suck and KT starts, you know, they're both 0-2 right now, but if KT starts climbing up the standings, maybe we'll front runner a little bit. How about that? That's, that sounds good. There's no other uh, KBO guy that you're randomly fond of? Are there any? I, I'm trying to, I don't. That was it are for there White any Sox. Other former White Sox? Yeah, that's the thing. I'm just trying to get a connection to the show here. Maybe if like you were a really big guy who wanted to pick up Aaron Alther off waivers when he was like getting DFA'd three times in one year, you know, this would be your <laughs> chance to be attached to him or if you really wanted the White Sox to have Dan Straley at some point. I mean, J- Jerry Sands was on Kawoom last year. They're 2-0, and but he's he's left to go to he play in Japan. He led so. the league in RBIs. Yeah, so if, if Jerry Sands had stuck around, we'd probably be Kawoom fans. I think that's how you pronounce it. I can't say for sure. I was, gonna, I was also going to ask how you pronounced your nickname for, uh, for Saladino that you had. Katata Fish? Yeah. I, did, I, I never was a big South Park guy. Oh, Katata Fish, he's a, he's a very important character in South Park. I'll his, take story word for soon, it. his story will soon be told. Uh, okay, well, I guess that's... So, yeah, to wrap up, the Samsung Lions, official KBO team of White Sox business, maybe the KT Wiz if they suck. But right now, go Tyler, go Lions, go Korean baseball. Uh, time for shout-outs. I am going to shout-out. Edwin Encarnacion, because Edwin has been helping to raise over a million dollars for COVID relief in the Dominican Republic with Pedro Martinez and David Ortiz. Uh, through the pa- Here's a quote from a release from the White Sox. Through the Pedro Martinez Foundation, Encarnacion, Martinez, and Ortiz have created the COVID-19 Dominican Republic Initiative, encouraging more than 40 major league players from the Dominican Republic to donate funds for life-saving supplies, including ventilators, face masks, disposable suits, test kits, hand sanitizer, cleaning supplies, and food. So shout out to Edwin. Shout out to all the players who are involved there helping raise money for the Dominican. James, who is your shout out for? Wow, shout out to you for doing the research for my conference call that I have to do in an hour with Edwin. So, thank you. Now I don't have to reread the press release again. But um, I well, guess... Well, would you, would you say that I'm a bigger hero than Edwin now? 
Um, you're, I, I would put you on the level below, you know, with uh, Pedro Martinez and David Ortiz as partners in the endeavor. I'd put you more on that level. Like, you're a Boston playoff hero, but, like, you're not a real hero. Okay, well, that's fine. Uh, I guess I should do shout-out to both Kurt and uh, Matt Swirad with the Charlotte Knights and Joe Weil and Connor Klingon with the Winston-Salem Dash who uh, shared their um, favorite Luis Robert memories from last year, and um, I finally got around to writing it up and posting it today. Um, I don't know when this podcast will air because Cam is unreliable and often asleep. But true, you know, they were very helpful with that, and it's it's always fun to have a resource to basically uh, relive any minor leaguers' glory days. We should have asked Kurt about Tyler Saladino's 2013 glory days, Shit. the Sutherland champion Barons. Cam, get him back on the phone. <laughs> but uh, you know, apparently, we asked him about Luis Robert and Michael Jordan instead. <laughs> next time, later, maybe next month, we'll relive uh, Tyler Saladino hitting league average in the Southern League in 2013. All right, so. If you're listening to this, whenever it comes out, go to The Athletic, read James's story on Luis Robert through the eyes of those who watched him play in the minors, and make sure you tune in again next week for our very next episode, which we don't know what it'll be about yet, but it'll be about something. Thank you for listening to White Sox Business. White Sox Business.